Rochester Church of Christ is called to live God's gospel, truth, and love with the world so that we all may find life together in God. Our hope is that this message will share that gospel, truth, and love in a way that will bless you, enrich you, and better equip you as a disciple. One of my mentors, but I don't know that... It, that's a weird term to use for someone who probably doesn't know that they're your mentor. You know what I'm saying? Like one of the people that I've read the things he's written, I've been extraordinarily thankful to learn from. And one of the people who's helped me grow into the Christian and the minister that I want to be is the late Mike Iaconelli. Um, and <clears throat> his honesty and candor is humbling and is inspiring. And he wrote this, and I wanted to share it with you. It sticks with me as I think about Jesus. He writes this. He says, my life is a mess. After years of trying to follow Jesus, I keep losing him in the crowded busyness of my life. I know Jesus is there somewhere, but it's, it's difficult to make him out in the haze of everyday life. For as long as I can remember, I've wanted to be a godly person. Yet when I look at the yesterdays of my life, what I see mostly is a broken, irregular path littered with mistakes and failure. I've had temporary successes and isolated moments of closeness to God. But I long for the continuing presence of Jesus. Most of the moments of my life seem hopelessly tangled in a web of obligations and distractions. And I want to be a good person. I don't want to fail. I want to learn from my mistakes, rid myself of distractions, and run into the arms of Jesus. Most of the time, however, I feel like I'm running away from Jesus and into the arms of my own clutteredness. I want desperately to know God better. I want to be consistent. Right now, the only consistency in my life is my inconsistency. Who I want to be and who I am are not very close together. I'm not doing well at the living a consistent life thing. I don't know how many of you can relate to that. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't need a show of hands, but thank you. <clears throat> I, I'm there. All right. I, I, I think it's something many of us can relate to. And I, I, if I'm honest, I thought, this is great. I, I used to think, I thought that my inconsistency was due to my immaturity and youth. I'm, I'm coming over here because I want to help y'all. I used to think when I was your age, oh, the reason I'm inconsistent is because I'm a teenager and we're just like that. All right? I, that's what I, and I thought I'll grow up, the maturity light switch will click on. Much like the hard work life switch, a light switch. 
All, of, all the things I want to be but I'm not striving to be will just show up. But now I've gotten older and I've realized that getting older wasn't the key to having it all together. Age has held, I have found at this point, I'm 45 years in, few secrets on the matter. I have not yet found them. So those of you who are a little older than me, maybe you'll give us hope and say, yeah, you'll get there. But I have the feeling that there is more to it than simply aging. And, 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 and for some reason, for a lot of us, following Jesus looks more like meandering and less like following. And, and here's the deal. Satan has a really powerful lever to pull in that place. Look at your life. You think you're a spiritual person? Come on. Look at all the things you're inconsistent about. You don't do spirituality well. You don't do faith well. You might as well give up. And Satan begins prying with that lever in order to undermine and rip that faith out of us. And we allow ourselves to be tricked into thinking that spirituality is more about competency than it is about intimacy. Come on now, preacher, let's go. We get fooled into thinking spirituality is more about competency, I'm good at this, than it is about intimacy, I am a person after God's own heart. We start to think that spirituality is more about perfection than it is connection. Iaconelli says it like this. He says, I need you to understand spirituality is not about being fixed. It's about God being present in the mess of our unfixedness. All right. It is the presence of God in wherever our life is that is going to be our spirituality, not us having everything together. God is not nearly as surprised by my messiness as I am. And yet, I am still loved and still chosen by God. And it turns out that Jesus really wants the real me, mess and all. But Adam, I thought cleanliness was next to godliness. And you keep talking about messiness, and that doesn't sound right. Now, my grandmother... Grandot, if you're watching this, I love you. My grandmother, she completely agreed, agrees that cleanliness is next to godliness. And she used to lie to us to get us to wash our hands. Here's what she said. She told eight-year-old Adam Hill... If you don't wash your hands, you're going to get worms or AIDS. 
You want to talk about raising the stakes on hand washing? There was zero science on that. But what did eight-year-old Adam know? Nothing. And so, so I, I was like, oh. And okay, eight-year-old Adam was more scared about worms. Didn't know what AIDS was, but worms sounded terrible. So I, 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 we became compulsive hand washers. There's the hill boys scrubbing in for surgery. You don't want AIDS. I mean, we were, we were terrified. Cleanliness, okay, but here's the deal. John Wesley coined that phrase. You may not know that, but in 1778, urging believers to be less slovenly, my grandmother nodding in agreement the whole time, he says, cleanliness is next to godliness. But some people have suspected, even though he was the first person to write it and say it like that, there may be some deeper roots to this whole cleanliness is next to godliness thing. Some suspect it dates back to the time of the bubonic plague. Okay, there was some encouragement that, hey, do the right thing here. Others see it actually dating all the way back to the Hebrew law with its admonitions to ritual purity and avoiding uncleanness, which would take one out of worship gatherings with the community. Because if you were ritually unclean, you couldn't come to the temple. And we still use it today, cleanliness is next to godliness. Maybe we're helping our kids wash behind their ears or wash their hands, shower once in a while, and occasionally pick up your room. <laughs> My son uh, just moved to a new room. He like moved from his room, made it dirty, and then went to the basement <laughs> and has now made it a little bit of a, well, he's a goblin. Uh, no, I, I'm just kidding. I love you. Uh, I love you, Cooper. I've called him a goblin on many occasions. I'm like, you got to do something about this. You're a goblin, uh, which is loving. Um, <laughs> here's the deal, though. Cleanliness is next to godliness is not in your Bible. In fact, if you look at Jesus, Jesus took a different approach. Eugene Peterson said, when we sin and mess up our lives, we find that God doesn't go off and leave us. He enters into our troubles and saves us. With that said, I want to read together from Mark chapter 1. And it's, it's a tradition of ours to honor God, God's authority, and the Word of God by having you stand, if you are willing and able, while we read God's Word together. From Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 45, the Bible says this, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was... You may have filled with compassion, but the word there is more usually translated. Jesus was indignant. It was a passionate response. He reached out his hand and he touched the man. I am willing. Be clean. 
Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, though... He went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you. For entering into the messiness of these of this world, of of our lives, and for bringing with you your undying love, your faithfulness, your grace, and your salvation. Thank you for being willing. God, may you teach us today that you are still willing and that we can still be made clean. Speak today, Father, for your children are listening. In Christ's name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. One thing I love about Mark's gospel is that Mark's gospel sometimes keeps it really straightforward and simple with some understatement. Where he doesn't tell you everything that's going on. He's letting you do some of the legwork to know why a statement might be a little different. But he just starts off this story in Mark chapter 1 verse 40. Keeps it really simple. A man with leprosy came to him. That shouldn't happen. Like, like, like we could just stop there and talk about that for a little bit. The guy with leprosy shouldn't be anywhere near him. You see, leprosy in biblical times was used as a term to refer to as many as 72 different skin ailments. Okay, so it always has something to do with the skin, and, 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 and so that word gets thrown around. Skin ailments are notoriously difficult to distinguish and heal, and, they're, and so there was a lot of superstition, a lot of fear, and a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of fear surrounding those. In particular, leprosy was often seen as a divine punishment, as God's way of saying this person isn't okay. Think back to uh, the moment when um, Miriam questions Moses and he says, I want you to reach into your cloak and then he, she has leprous hands. He gives Miriam leprosy. God does because of her doubt. Okay, many people see things like that like in, 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 in Numbers 12 that... There's some, there's, there's some kind of divine retribution associated with this. And it's prevalent enough, leprosy, to merit two whole chapters in Leviticus. Leviticus 13 and 14, which read like an ancient manual on dermatology. Um, and, and like what you should do if you get a rash, what you should do if you get this, what you should do with this. It's, it, it's very concerned about your skin care. Um, But verses 45 and 46 of chapter 13 in Leviticus read like this. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. 
uh-oh, it's right. <laughs> what a sweet, sweet child. I love it. Not enough to want another one. Um, <clears throat> I like y'all's. Um, I have mine. We got it right the first time. No need to try again. Um, here. Notice that in Leviticus there, uh, Leviticus 13, that didn't read like a treatment plan, did it? That read like a sentence. <laughs> didn't it? it that, that, was, that was not, here's how we're going to fix the ailment. It's, ooh, if this happens, okay, you better get out of town. You better wear your little mask. You better, you better yell out that you're unclean. You need to let your hair grow long. Let, you better rip those clothes and make sure that people don't want to be anywhere near you. Leprosy. You see, you didn't, all this was done to keep it from becoming a contagion that spread throughout the people. But leprosy didn't just rob you of your health. It robbed you of, if you have to leave camp, if you can't come around until it's... It robbed you of your occupation. It robbed you of your home. Your friends and family. Your worshiping community. Your social interaction. It, it took way more than your skin. It took your humanity. You see, time and oxygen will heal most skin ailments. Loneliness, though. Loneliness is really hard to deal with. And so what lepers would do is they would gather together and they would form a leper colony. Not because they thought it was good for themselves health-wise. It was basically a sentence that they would keep spreading this disease to, the, to each other. They were probably going to die in there, but they wouldn't die alone. That's what the leper colony was about. You don't die alone. Okay, so, so, so this is more than simply my skin is in trouble. This is, this is someone who is so struggling. As a matter of fact, ancient writer Josephus said about leprosy that, those who, that lepers in no way differed from a corpse. Other rabbis spoke of lepers as the living dead. And they considered curing leprosy as difficult as raising the dead. According to Jewish teaching, a leper entering a house made the house unclean. Standing beneath a tree would pollute anyone who passed under the same tree. To best underscore both of its medical and social dimensions, take note that the, in the Bible, leprosy not only had to be healed, it had to be cleansed. In this text, the word healed is never used, but cleansing is mentioned four times in six verses. Nevertheless, to approach Jesus at all is shockingly abnormal. The leper approached Jesus. That simple sentence is shockingly abnormal. And it should catch our attention because at very least, the leper is going to make Jesus ceremonially unclean. Not to mention, he has put Jesus' health at risk. 
And yet present in the leper's words are the beginnings of faith. The leper came to him, begged him on his knees, if you're willing, you can make me clean. We could learn something from this leper. And here's one of the things I want, to, I want, I want you to learn. We tend to think that spirituality, the people who are really spiritual have it together. Here's what I've learned from this leper and from so many others before me. Truly spiritual people don't pretend. That when things are not okay, they tell you they're not okay. They don't act like things are going better than they are. Todd stood up today and said, I am having a terrible week. That was honest. And the truth is, a lot of us would probably have been happier if we went, Hey, great to see you. Nothing ever goes wrong now in Jesus. But truly spiritual people don't pretend. Truly spiritual people tell the truth about, whether they, where, about where they are. One pastor wrote, pretending is the grease of modern relationships. Pretending perpetuates the illusion of relationships by connecting us on the basis of who we are not. Man, that if I'm okay and you're okay, we have a good relationship. Meanwhile, neither of us is okay. Isn't that the way that works? But maybe this leper knows all too well that if he were to pretend to not be a mess, Jesus would only pretend to heal him. Oh. But because he's all too willing as a man without credentials to call out openly, brokenly, honestly to another man without credentials... He is healed. He is cleansed. And it is frightening how few of us Christians believe in the unqualified grace of God. That says truly spiritual people don't have to pretend. He doesn't question Jesus' ability to save. If you're willing... You can heal me. You can make me clean. He doesn't question Jesus' ability to save. What's he asking? His willingness. I know you have the ability. Are you willing? It may just be that honest messiness is closer to godliness than cleanliness is. Or at least just as close. Jesus' response to the man is almost just as shocking as what's already happened. That, that rather than turning from the leper, Jesus turns to the leper. Jesus even touches the man. Jesus comes into full contact with his physical untouchability and heals his flesh. And Jesus comes into full contact with his ritual untouchability, restoring his humanity. 
William Miller has observed uh, that humans are most likely the only species that experiences disgust. Okay, one small thing going wrong ruins everything that's good. Negativity dominance. Now, in some ways, negativity dominance is not a terrible idea. You know, it's just a little bit of spit. Go ahead and drink it. Mm, hold on. <laughs> like, I get, like, there's some negativity dominance that can be helpful sometimes when you think like that. It can save you. But, but here's what happens when we do it spiritually, and this is even built into the law sometimes. If someone unclean touches someone who's clean, what happens? They make that person unclean. Negativity dominance. The leper says, if you're willing, make me clean. And Jesus does what? Touches him. What should happen? Jesus should be unclean. Negativity dominance. What does Jesus do? Positivity dominance. That my cleanness makes you clean. Because I, I, I chose to touch you. I can make you clean. Jesus is like soap. We don't think that way about soap. If soap falls on the ground, what is it, dirty? Nope. Ground's clean. Anyway, um, <clears throat> anyway, <laughs> that wasn't in the notes. Um, and you're like, it shouldn't have been. The amazing part is that Jesus is not polluted by the man's uncleanness. Rather, the man is cleansed by Jesus' purity. And if that tells us anything, it tells us this good news, that Jesus' holiness is stronger than sin. Now, this is great news because what is the gift of God to us when we accept Christ? Forgiveness because Jesus' holiness is stronger than our sin. Okay, the, 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 Jesus' holiness is stronger than our sin. Would I believe that if I were back then, though? If I saw it happen? I don't know because do I believe it now even when I'm the leper? And I really need it to be true. I know very few of us have the diagnosis of leprosy. But I think more of us know what it feels like when we, when we, when we realize it. Some of you may be chronically ill. And know how that stigma feels. Some of you may have, ha may have an addiction that has power over you. A lot like leprosy came to define those under its control. Some of you may have made a mess of things in your life. And you've gotten a reputation for being someone who is unclean. Some of you may have a failed marriage or a failing marriage and feel the social sting of that in circles like, oh, churches. Some of you may have messed up relationships with your parents or your kids that leave you feeling outside from the good parents. Some of you feel like a phony and your biggest fear is that everyone's going to find out. Some of you, because of your race or your social class, have been made to feel like lepers. Some of you may feel like it just might be that this whole sick world has leprosy. Jesus has a word for us. You are loved and you are chosen. And I am not only able to heal you, I 
am willing. You are not alone in this, Jesus says. Jesus says, I am with you in this. Kenny, you can go ahead and bring your team up. I want to expand this for a moment, just this glimpse from Mark chapter 1 to Jesus' ministry as a whole. 1 John 3, 8 puts it really simply. It says that the reason the Son of God appears... Uh, I'm sorry, 1 John 3, 8 says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. Okay, this healing, like all the others that follow it, are pursuing the same thing. A great reversal, a war against death in all of its forms. I mentioned before that the ancient writer Josephus in the first century wrote that lepers in no way differed from a corpse. That other rabbis spoke of lepers as the living dead and considered the cure of di- as difficult as raising the dead. Here is Jesus overcoming death like he always has, like he always will. There's an interesting irony at the end of the story where it started with a leper who was outside of the town and no one could come to him and he couldn't see anyone. And we end with Jesus having made him well, but now Jesus has to stay outside in the lonely places because he took his place in order to save that man. Will you give yourself to Jesus. No more pretending. No more hiding. Messiness and all. Because he will cleanse you. He's willing. The question now is if you are willing. Heavenly Father, I pray that this message has been a blessing to those listening. I pray that you would continue to work in our lives in ways that are evident and easily seen. Most of all, I pray thank you for loving us and choosing us. We don't deserve it, but you are so good and so faithful and so true. We thank you for your spirit and your son. May we grow in them to your glory, Father. In Christ's holy name, amen.